Hey everybody, welcome back to the How To Podcast. The How To Podcast is a lifestyle podcast on creating life you want. This week we have Gabby from Live Laugh Yum. Gabby is a food freedom coach who has her master's of science in nutrition with a concentration in obesity and nutritional health and is working on her official eating disorder recovery certification. Gabby and I talk about loving your body, self-love, some tangible tips to help you get there. I do want to start up by saying that we will be talking about eating disorders that may trigger some people, so just wanting to give a heads up there. This topic is really near and dear to my heart. I just think that, you know, this is an issue that guys and girls go through. Just body image and self-love, it's hard. And so I'm so glad I got to sit down with Gabby and we got to talk about this. So I can't wait for you guys to hear and enjoy. Hi, Gabby. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to be here today. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, Whenever I started my podcast, this is a topic that I've always wanted to touch on. And it's just been a matter of finding the right person to have the conversation. So I'm just so pumped that we get to record this today. And I think that a lot of people will just benefit from this so much. I agree. And I am honored that you chose me. (laughs) Yes. Well, let's just start and tell the listeners, tell me just a little bit about you, where you're from, what you do. Okay. I am from New Jersey, South Jersey. I am from a town called Mount Laurel. I I think it's like 20, 25 minutes from Philly. So I live right outside of Philly. Perfect. um, Which is so, so cool. So I can just like go into the city whenever I want, but have that like suburb life and be able to have my car. I love driving places. So it's like a good mix of things. I actually went to Rowan University. So that is even south of me in Jersey. So it's in Glassboro, New Jersey. When I went there, so I'm 30 years old. So I went there from 2008 to 2013. And it was before they redid the whole school. So if anyone knows Rowan now, it's like crazy, like reconstructed beautiful and I went there before that so that's kind of a bummer (laughs) that's always how Um, it happens all the like renovations always happen when you leave always it's like the year after it's like this new like frozen yogurt places and like chicken peas and like (laughs) I was not there for that so that's kind of like that is not Um, my no but no it's not my no so I um I actually really liked going to Rowan I was on the swim team for two years so I was an athlete uh, freshman and sophomore year and then I just decided I just needed to focus on my studies I was majoring in math Love and it. I don't like I just chose that major because I was good at math and I wanted to be a teacher I was minoring in education and then I decided that well I was majoring in education so it was like a double major and then I decided that I didn't want to teach I was like I don't know if I want to do this so I just finished off my math degree so stoked I have my degree in math though because it's an Not awesome a lot of major. people do. My best friend yeah, has a so major in math like, and we're always like, you're such a nerd. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like all my friends are like, hashtag math major. Exactly. So, like, STEM. so I wanted to teach and then I just decided that I wanted to kind of go in a different direction. When I graduated, I graduated with my major in math, minor in education. And then I moved back home. At that time, I met my now fiance. So mm-hmm. I met him when I was 21 and now we live together. So that's And uh, so where was it going with this? Oh, right. So then I started my food blog because I got really into like food. And 
we'll get into that why I was into food. Um, I decided to go back to school for nutrition. So I went to Burlington County College, my local community college for, it was two years, and um, I got all of my prerequisites. And then um, I applied to Northeastern University, and I got my master's in nutrition online. And it took a little less than two years. Okay. So graduated in 2016, and that's that. So that's like... Yeah, that's the history of my schooling. So now I am continuing on, actually. I'm going to get my certification as a eating disorder recovery coach. So yeah, for people who are just kind of tuning in, today we're going to be talking through what that looks like. And even if you don't have, um, even if you're not diagnosed with an eating disorder, you can still have these bad habits and different kind of warning signs that might lead to more unhealthy habits in the future. And I think This is really important to talk about because I know that I have struggled with this in the past and, you know, every, I mean, it's pretty common that people struggle with not having the best relationship with food or over exercising and just trying to find the perfect balance. I think that this will be really great to dive into. You've struggled before with an eating disorder. Can you kind of talk us through your journey with that and what's your story? Yeah, we'll rewind a little bit and, you know, freshman year of college. So, and I said I was on the swim team. Actually, rewind even more. So senior year of high school, I found out that my parents were getting divorced. And this was like May of senior year. So it was like right before the summer before I went to college. It was really hard for me. The whole summer was just my parents kind of like working through things. I was kind of doing my own thing. I was at my friend's house. I don't even remember being home all summer that summer. And my sister, I have a younger sister. She's two years younger than me. So she was going to be a junior. So she just finished her sophomore year of high school that summer was just so hard it was just very it was very tough for both of us so we were constantly out of the house and then I left college like end of August the guilt of leaving my sister at home was just like you know to deal with my parents uh not to deal with them but like to just be there like alone uh during that hard time really got me the fact that my parents were getting divorced and I wasn't there for it you know kind of just was really hard so when I went to Rowan, when I went to school, I, you know, the swim team was very tough. It was a lot of physical activity. And I kind of noticed myself losing a little bit of weight. I'm talking like two pounds, like, like not like a significant amount, but like an right. amount that I saw on the scale that I was like, hmm, cool. That's yeah. cool. So it was became something that I could control because I really couldn't control what was happening at home. When you develop an eating disorder, it's often because there's something in your life or like something in happening with your family that you cannot control. So then you turn to food. You could turn to any, I mean, you can turn to exercise, you can turn to getting another degree in school, you can turn to something that you can control, but a lot of people turn to food. So I was seeing that number on the scale get lower and lower. And I was kind of like, I'm doing this and I'm proud. Right. Kind of thing. And when you're losing weight, you're so, like, I look good. That means I feel good. Right. People were noticing, right? So people were like, oh my God, you look so great. Like I came home from school. Oh my gosh, you look so great. But they didn't really know what they were complimenting. Right. They were complimenting me like not eating. And to them, they they're just like, me. you're on the swim team. You look great. Right. So you never know what you're complimenting. First off, when you compliment people on their weight loss or even their body image, you, you don't know why that's happening. Just think about that, commenting on people's body weight in general. 
Um, it's just an example of that. So that's how I kind of like developed. I would say I've never gotten diagnosed, but looking back on it, I definitely had anorexia. Um, and, you know, I was over exercising and not eating nearly enough. And, you know, and I, I'm a small person. I'm, I'm sure I'm like five one. I'm, I'm just a, a I feel that hard living a life of sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm um, five two. I get it. <laughs> yeah, you get it. You get it. So yeah, so that's kind of how it developed for me. And then um, I guess it's it's just always been with me. So I now I choose to help people with it. I love that. And yeah, I think a lot of people because it it doesn't sound like it, at least correct me if I'm wrong. Were you so you were never officially diagnosed? Were you ever? Did you ever get down to a point where you were like need to go to the hospital or anything like that? No. So actually my swim coach noticed something and, you know, coaches are seeing you every day. So my swim coach noticed that my times in meets were, if anyone's a swimmer, I mean, if, if they get higher then obviously you're slower. So like, I was like getting like really slow. My event was a hundred brushstroke. So four laps of brushstroke and I could like barely finish that. And um, she was like, what's going on? Right. So she's like, just, you know, what's happening with you? Like, and she knew. So she was just like, you like have to go see like the school counselor. So I ended up seeing this, the guy, or guy counselor. What was she? I forget what actually she was called, but she was like a, a therapist at, at Rowan. So I went to her once a week and, you know, my parents started to notice when they came to visit me, they were like, Hey, like, what is happening? And, you know, my coach obviously talked to them. But it's never gotten to a point where I had to actually be admitted to the hospital or anything like that. I kind of caught it at a certain point where I didn't have to. But I I think I got like, I don't want to say any numbers on the scale, but I got right. to like a pretty low weight. And um, it was definitely something that, you know, if you didn't see me for about a month and then you saw me, you were just like, okay, Whoa. like something's wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And I really like that because I... I know for a lot of people and I know like I've been like this too. It's like, well, when do you know, like, when is it actually serious? It's like you said, like it, you don't have to be in the hospital bedridden for, for you to be diagnosed. You can, you know, everyone struggles with it. And just because it's not extreme to the point where they're carrying you into the hospital doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you or that you're not experiencing it because right. Like we all like to downplay. None of us like want to feel like we're being dramatic. And so I think that's like a great example of like, it can really happen and it looks different for everybody. You know, I always say this on like my Insta and like my blog, it doesn't have to be quote unquote bad enough. You know, you, you can get help whenever you feel the need, you know? And, and I think you're right where people, um, don't want to be dramatic and don't want to make it a big deal, but like you are important. Like you're important too, just as another person, you're just as important as anybody else. So if you feel like you have a problem, then it's, it's not, you know, frowned upon to ask for help. Totally. Even if it's not clinical level. Would you say people that you work with or what you notice, because I know I've been in situations where it's like, okay, I I need, I know I need to be eating more. I know I'm being really restrictive. I know I'm probably overworking myself and yeah, it's not healthy, but like, I'm aware that I'm doing it, which means I don't have a problem. Like, Mm -hmm. cause I feel like a lot of times too, when you hear about eating disorders or people who just have a really unhealthy relationship, you think that they just like are blind to it. And they're like, no, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And I think a lot of the times, right. right. You do know what you're doing. 
But again, since you think you're in control, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So actually you brought up a really good point. I've worked with a couple of my clients. So I actually have just to give you a little bit more background on this. So I actually have a program. It's called Love Food Again. I help people heal, heal their relationship with food. So, and the reason why I called it Love Food Again is because I've always loved food. As a little kid, I mean, I'm French and Italian. So like food was like my thing. We love the carbs. Right? We love the carbs. There's, yeah, like croissant, like pasta, croissants, quiche, like everything like that. So I've always loved food. And I wanted to get back to a point where when I was little, I loved food. So I, I wanted to get back to that point of having that mentality where like I didn't have an issue with like eating something because I want it because I love food so much. Like food is a huge part of my life. That's kind of where I came up with the name. So I work with a couple of clients that, you know, when they first ask about my program, they're like, oh, I know I'm doing this, but like, I can't get out of it. My one client, this one client said, um, without naming names, obviously, but she said, I know I'm doing this. I've been able to pull myself out before, but I can't this time. And I'm like, well, you may feel like you're in control of food, but is food the one controlling you? And totally. she's like, oh my God. She's like, you just gave me chills. Like you're so right. So some of the time we think we're in control, but diet culture and food is really the one controlling them 100%. So yeah. I think that's where we get mixed up where we think we're in control, but we're totally not. Definitely. And a lot of the times it's, it's just like this voice in your head, I feel like that you're like constantly arguing with. And what I've really learned these last few years is like, it's not normal. You know, I guess it's normal in a sense, you're always going to have like kind of someone in your head talking back to you. But it's not normal to like listen to it to the point where you have to just be so zero or 100 all the time. Yeah, so that voice, you got to think about like, where's that voice coming from? Right? Is it because like, what's the source of that voice? Is it something you saw on social media? Is it an influencer that you are seeing on social media saying like carbs are bad? Is it like a diet that you've done in the past? Uh, for instance, like, we'll just talk about keto because keto eliminates carbs, right? Like all mm -hmm. carbs. Keto is like, you're supposed to be in ketosis, which is like your glucose levels are supposed to be at a very, very low point where the point where you're in ketosis, which doesn't feel great. So like, is it your past experience with keto that's telling you like, hey, carbs are bad. Like you should be eating that kind of thing. Is it Whole30 where you're not supposed to eat added sugars. So you're, you'll eat something like, I don't know, like honey, right? Drizzle of honey in your tea. Oh no, I can't have that because it's added sugar. Thinking about that kind of thing is like, what is the source of the voice in your head? Yeah. So you really got to think deeper into why, why you're thinking that you know, we hear the term diet culture, but to you, what really is that? Is that just people who do Whole30 or is that more of just the mentality that diet culture is saying or giving us? I mean, diet culture is pretty much, yeah, it's the mentality, exactly what you said. So um, another characteristic of being in the diet culture mentality, labeling food as good or bad. We'll say like any kind of food, like carbs are bad or like added sugar is bad. Like it, it doesn't have to be one particular food. Like you label foods as good or bad. <laughs> I think I think diet culture a lot of the times too can just be as simple as you should eat a 2000 calorie diet. But if you want to lose weight, yeah. you need to just eat less calories. It's all about the caloric deficit. So I'm just going to cut it in half. Oh. And people are like under eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another um, characteristic of diet culture mentality 
would be thinking that you have to stay under a certain number of calories per day, regardless if you're still hungry or not. So ignoring, ignoring your hunger cues, basically. We are taught in the diet culture mentality to ignore our hunger because we've already eaten that many calories or we can't eat past a certain time, like intermittent fasting, for example. Another big one is being super, like you have a number related goal. You want to lose weight. So you're constantly looking at the number on the scale. Whereas like intuitive eating and food freedom, a goal would be, hey, I want to feel good. I want to eat to feel good and I want to nourish my body. So health is like your number one goal rather than being a certain pan size or like being a certain number on the scale. So that's kind of like all together what diet culture mentality is without going too much into like the certain diet characteristics. Yes, definitely. Another thing I wanted to talk about was binge eating. I feel like of all the kind of eating disorders that tends to be the most common, what is binge eating? So binge eating disorder is basically defined like the medical terminology, I guess, um, would be diagnosed as eating a large amount of food in a small period of time, small period being like within like a two hour period of time, once a week for a three month period of time. It has to be like over three months, but that's like the diagnosis, right? So do I agree with that? Personally, not really, because you don't have to do it for a specific three month period of time or more, right? So binge eating. So usually people with the diet mentality, will go back to the diet mentality with binging, you're kind of stuck in that restrict binge cycle, which the restrict binge cycle basically is just this never ending cycle of dieting. So like restricting and then giving into that diet, binging, you're going to most likely binge on all the foods that like you restrict. Say if I love cookies, they're finally in the house and I'm going to be like, yes, like I'm screw it. I'm giving into this. And you basically end up eating like a whole like two sleeves of cookies. That would be like, a binge. I think most of us have been there, you know, you're depriving your body of something. And then you're like, you almost become like in a trance totally you're doing it too. I mean, you're three cookies in and you're like, screw it. You know, like yeah. diet culture is well, telling me a lie. I'm just going to eat it all. Yeah. And that, that brings me to another thing. It's the all or nothing mentality. So you can't just have one cookie. You're going to be like, well, I ruined it now. And then you're just going to like, you know, binge on it. And it's like an event. Another huge characteristic of binge eating disorder would be the overwhelming feeling of guilt and shame after that binge, right? So we're like, oh man, like what the heck just happened? Like you almost can't remember what happened. It's almost like, why did I just do that? And then you start restricting again because you feel guilty and then you binge and then you feel guilty and then you restrict. So that's like the restrict binge cycle. And I think a lot of people or, you know, more than we know, people more than we know, you may be doing it and not even realize that you're doing it. Totally. I know that I used to binge almost every day. I used to restrict in the morning and the afternoon, and then I would binge at night. And every morning I would wake up and be like, this is the day I'm going to stop. And (laughs) it just kept going because I didn't know how to fix it. Yeah. You bring up a great point that people don't even know they're doing it because looking back, totally me. I mean, just the word binging, even just thinking that you have a problem, it, like we said before, it sounds so severe and it's like, no, I'm not like crazy. I can control myself. Okay. But it's so true. And it can simply just look like, oh, I had a lot of grilled chicken this week. And then 
just literally sitting down in one sitting and eating a whole pizza and then being like, I've already messed up today. So I guess I'm just going to ruin it more. And then going to get cookie dough at the store and all this stuff. And then, like you said, going through this, like, just, oh my gosh, I'm a bad person. I feel so crappy. I, of course I did this to myself and yeah. And then you start fresh and then it's just, you're even more restrictive. Absolutely. And it's, it's just this ongoing cycle. And I think that you know, when we talked about thinking that you're in control, right? That does not sound like you're in control. Right. <laughs> but people think that they're in control. And it's almost just like, I, I just don't think that people, like they think they know how to fix it. We think restriction again is the way to fix it, but it's not. And that's why it's, it's a cycle. And even after a binge, I think that, you know, a lot of people think that uh, restriction and overexercise Mm-hmm. Over exercise, um, say like, hey, like I had, I had a lot of cookies, so like I have to work out, you know, tomorrow, or you know, I have to work out because because I just did that. That is a form of purging, and I didn't really know this. And purging is like, you know, anorexia and bulimia. So bulimia is when you purge after you eat, like you purge after a binge. Binge eating and bulimia kind of like can go hand in hand. It can be like, you know, diagnosed together. So overexercise is actually a form of purging too. So wow, I never realized think that. About. Yeah, because you're trying to like get rid of something that you put into your body. Even if it's not physically making yourself sick, overexercising Absolutely. is poor. Hmm, wow. Yeah, yep. I've, I've never thought about it like that. Uh, again, like no one wants to feel extreme in those habits of overeating and overexercising seem so normalized that- It does seem normalized. And that's, that's- probably why people don't get help. That's exactly, that's exactly, you brought up a huge, a a great point. So diet culture is also normalized. And that's why we think that it's normal because we're like, oh, like everyone's doing it. It's all over Instagram. I think when people see like lose 30 pounds in 30 days, it sounds great. You're like, yes, I'm going to do that. And then when you do do it and you're like, well, this isn't great. It's almost like when you find your food freedom. And I I say that because that's like kind of like the goal of my program and the goal of life, really. Like Mm -hmm. I'm very much into intuitive eating and food freedom. So when you find your food freedom, everything balances out. So it's like a straight line. And then diet culture is up, down, up, down, like this huge extreme. So it really evens out and you could end up feeling, well, you're going to feel better if you're like, you know, intuitive eating and eating the stuff in your body. But you could end up in a place that you loved even more after you find your food freedom than extreme dieting. My journey with it was once I got to college, I feel in high school, I never, I mean, I was a champ. I ate a, I ate a mini DiGiorno pizza every day, like go. for weeks. And it was, it was awesome. And I, you know, I had like a great metabolism. It affected me in no way possible. I never worked out. And then when I got to college, it kind of started catching up. And so I decided, you know, I was going to be like this expert and I was going to research a lot about working out. And I was going to research a lot about like what a carb is. And it's like almost like when you find out all this new information about what carbs are in, you know, being in a caloric deficit, like all of this new information, naturally you want to tell people about it. But looking back, that was super triggering probably to myself and probably to other people. And when people would talk about it with me, what they know about carbs and that one beer is basically a slice of bread or a whole loaf or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. like when you're, you know, you're bouncing off each other and you're both quote unquote knowledgeable about this, but what it's really doing is you're just kind of encouraging these bad habits 
And so what are some ways that you tell your clients to stop that? Like what are triggers that you don't even know could be triggering to people or that, you know, you're just making it worse on yourself? Yeah. So actually, I mean, everyone kind of gets triggered. Like even I still get triggered. Okay. So I'll tell you some of my triggers. And I have friends that do Whole30 and exercise. Like, I mean, everyone really, all of my friends really exercise, but almost when like I decide to take a rest day and then I see someone exercising, I'm like, oh shit, like, should I be exercising? Mm -hmm. And then I like kind of have to like rein myself back in. And I'm like, no, like I decided that I'm going to take a rest day. I need a rest day. This is my body. So like comparing yourself and like what you're doing and what your friends are doing and what other people are doing social media is a huge trigger, right? When people comment what's on your plate, it could go one of two ways or many ways, but either, oh my God, like you're going to eat all that or, oh my God, weren't you doing like whole 30 before? And like, there's like carbs on their plate, you know, like that is like, there's no invitation to comment on anyone's plate and like what they're eating. They're Mm -hmm. eating because it makes them feel good. And that's what they genuinely want. Commenting on people's food is just not comfortable for that person. And it could be a huge trigger. I was just going to say too, and a conversation that my friend and I were having last week too, was like, where's the line? Because no one obviously wants to be in the diet culture mentality of like, eat this, not that. But there's also sometimes that truly like a salad does sound good personally for me, never. But like, there are people (laughs) like my friend, Danielle, she loves vegetables, like one of her strengths is she loves vegetables and like whole foods and like foods that like fuel you to make you feel good. And I am like so impressed by it. And, you know, I feel like she's talked about in the past, like people have made comments to her about just like, Oh, we get it. You're eating another salad or, Oh, we get it. And I mean, that's natural, right? Like when your friend's eating a salad and you're over ordering a large pizza, like it's like, Oh, I get it. Like you're a health nut and I'm on my 18th slice, but where's the balance of, not shaming people for eating well, but also not shaming people for not eating foods that will fuel them? That's a really good question. Shaming someone for eating a salad is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like, people think it's okay because it's like, he- like quote unquote, healthy food. I don't really like to use the word healthy. I like to use the word nourishing. I feel like we use healthy and unhealthy like way too much. And like basically everything that you're eating is nourishing in some way, rather, even if it's like, an Oreo versus an apple. Obviously the apple is going to have more nourishment, but the Oreo is still going to give you energy. So just a little side note there. (laughs) Okay. So some people, like people think like, oh my God, I can't believe you're like, oh, you're so healthy. Like you're eating that salad. But if it were the other way around and you're getting pizza, oh my God, like, look at you ordering another pizza. Like how different does that sound? Right. Totally. And Yeah. I mean, I've used to be that person where people used to be like, oh, like you're so healthy. Like, look at you ordering a salad or ordering like, I don't know, like a vegetable instead of pasta or something like that. And there you go. We think pasta is bad, like kind of that mentality. Right. Um, And I think that the response to that would be, you got to learn how to respond because you're never going to stop people from saying stuff. You know what I mean? So how do you respond? What if you said, hey, a salad really sounds good to me right now and I'm trying to tune into my body. What could you say to that? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what could they possibly say to that? Yeah. They're going to be like, oh, okay. Like, like, (laughs) they have nothing to say. Or hey, like, I'm trying to practice like intuitive eating. 
my new year's resolution is intuitive eating like i'm really trying to like tune into like what my body needs what could you possibly say to that so i think that more so learning obviously like learn that like it's not okay to comment on anyone's food like no matter what it is but also learning how to respond to that like diet talk you know what i mean and like commenting on like your eating because mm-hmm. that's something that you can control and you can't really control like anyone saying anything Right. And even if it's just like an internal thought of like, okay, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to be better than anyone. It's just, yeah, listening to my body and being someone who has received those comments, but also being the person who's probably said those comments to other people, the person saying it, I'm like, I feel like it, that also kind of sprouts from, I don't want anyone to think worse of me because I'm ordering something that's not healthy, quote unquote, you know, that's not normally is nourishing and it's almost just like talking from insecurity almost yes I was literally just about to say that you took the words right out of my mouth so often when people are commenting on your food choices or like what you're eating often comes from a place of insecurity or like maybe how they feel about themselves so like it may make them feel better about like what they're eating what their food choices are but we have to remember that intuitive eating is like is not, and food freedom, intuitive eating is not all about like eating cookies for every meal, right? Not eating the Oreo is intuitive eating and eating the Oreo is intuitive eating. It just depends on, hey, I really don't want an Oreo right now, so I'm not going to have it. Or, hey, like I'm really craving like a soft, gooey chocolate chip cookie, so I'm going to have it, you know? Um, And also listening to your hunger cues, like well, I really want an Oreo, but like, I'm not hungry right now. And I'm just going to like, wait till I actually am. That's an example of intuitive eating. Or if you're not hungry and you want the Oreo, that's also an example of intuitive eating. You just have to tune into yourself. And I honestly think that we always look to other outside sources for what we should be doing versus listening to our own bodies. And I think that's the major problem here. Another thing that I've been really big on lately is what are your thoughts on fitness tracking devices, Apple watches, Fitbits, all of that jazz? Yeah. So I used to be so obsessed with it. Same. <laughs> um, I actually have an Apple watch. I got it last year for my 30th birthday. I'm going to be 31 in March. So it's almost been a year. Nice. My dad was like, I cannot believe you're going to be 31. I was <laughs> like, like, thanks. Same. <laughs> don't even talk to me about it. I also still feel like I'm 25. So yeah, I feel good, you know? So I used to be obsessed with it. I used to have this watch. It was called the Polar. There's like this Polar watch. I forget Mm -hmm. exactly what it's called, but you had to wear like a heart rate monitor like on your chest and it connected to the watch. I used to be so obsessed. I used to wear it every single time I worked out. And if I didn't have it, I would like kind of be like, oh my God, like I don't have it. It doesn't count. Calories I'm burning. Right. It doesn't count because I don't know how many calories I'm burning. And if I don't sweat, it's not a good workout. Or if I don't, I don't know, like if I don't work out for at least 45 minutes, it's not a good workout. Now I find myself not even using my Apple watch because for a workout, because I've been very much into finding my intuitive, joyful movement and what movement makes me feel good. So I won't do something just because I feel like I should be doing it just like I won't eat something just because I feel like I should be eating it. So I found what works best for my body is a lower impact workout, like lower impact being like bar yoga, walking, like force myself to run. Right. I love walking, especially when it's hot out because you're like, yeah, (laughs) I I don't like cold weather. I I, like can't do it in the cold, but um, that's just me. 
I try to find movement that works best for me. And without that number and without seeing that heart rate or like the number of calories I burned, I almost feel like better about myself because I'm doing what's best for my body without being obsessed with how many calories I'm burning in that workout. Like I'm like, yes, that felt really good. And um, I feel strong rather than having that number goal, what we talked about earlier, like the number goal of like dieting and diet culture. And now I'm kind of like more in the like intuitive kind of like, okay, that felt really great. And I feel strong. And like, like, this is how I'm feeling. Um, So I feel like it could be very like obsessive, like even like my fitness pal, like tracking your food, the same thing. Um, It could, it could kind of bring you into like this, like deep rabbit hole that you're like, when did I become so obsessed about this? Right. Um, and in, in workout classes, like I see people constantly checking their watch. I can't do that for myself anymore. I used to be that person, but I've learned that it's not the best for me. So that's how I feel about that. And it's funny <laughs> that you brought that up because I kind of wanted to uh, do a little video on that because it's been something on the top of my mind. Totally. And yeah, I mean, that's just something like recently and recently as in weeks that I've started to adapt because again I like you said super obsessed with the number like if I wasn't burning at least x amount of calories and x amount of time then okay that means I have to go on like a run later that means I have to do this I know for me in the past listening to podcasts or watching videos and they're like you know what just toss the watch just don't even wear it I mean it just seems so like again extreme like okay I wear this thing all day every day to literally not putting it on like where's the in between like what's a tangible step and I don't know what you would suggest to your clients but like for me what's helped is like I no longer wear my watch when I work out which was like the hardest adjustment because I've been so obsessed with the number but then I also like there is a part like I do like going on walks and I do like kind of seeing how active I am during the day so what I started to try to do for me is all I set my move goal low you know Because it's like, you still have that satisfaction of closing a ring if that's what you're going after. But also it's, it's not high stakes of like, I have to make it this amount or else it was a failure day. Like I set it pretty low and just enough to like get up and walk around without being extreme. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I actually set my move ring pretty low too, because I realized I wasn't hitting it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Even with exercising. And I was like, what is happening? I was like, you know what? I'm not going to put it where everybody else's is. I'll put it where mine needs to go because I'm a different person and I'm my own person. And yeah, you're right. Like I was, you know, when I first got my Apple watch, I was like, oh my God, this is so awesome. So of course I was like trying to close all my rings and it just made me a little bit, if I didn't close my rings, I was like, like yeah, I felt was like worthless. a little bit less of myself. Yeah. And like, you're not supposed to feel like that. So I agree, like not wearing your watch or maybe not setting like the exercise, but like, you know, Holly, you can go in and pick like what exercise you're doing, maybe not doing it like that. And maybe just wearing it like as an actual watch during your workout is, is completely fine. But yeah, you're right. It is a big adjustment if you're used to that, you know? Yeah. And another thing I had to do was I had to start turning off people's because you know, that, that Apple watch, it'll do that thing where it tells you like, Caitlin went on a five mile walk. Noah went on a 500 calorie strength lifting workout. And it's just like, like you said, like, well, I was supposed to take a rest day, but if they can get out and move their body, like I can get out and move their body. And I'm just a naturally competitive person. So it's also like totally triggers that. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be the only one who sat on their butt today. (laughs) 
yeah, no, I feel the same way. Like, like I said, in the beginning of this podcast, like I, when my friends work out, I'm like, oh shit, like, should I be going to work out? But like, yeah, you're right. I, I actually very recently turned mine off too, because I, you can't compete with other people because your, your body is unique. Like every body is unique. So just because someone else is doing it just doesn't mean that you have to do it. And I feel like that's a huge thing with like diet culture. I mean, I saw this thing on Instagram where it said like diet culture is a cult and like it kind of is totally. if you think about it people like just jump on the bandwagon because it's like hey like you're doing it let's let me do it too and it's like it's like this ongoing cycle of like oh like let's like a lot of people like choose to diet together yeah. you know like accountability, like, accountability. like yeah so I just feel like it's like a constant like cycle of like this person's doing it so like let me do it and like it just carries on and it's a dangerous it's it's easy to fall into is it and that can kind of lead up to like you know worse things yeah is it normal dream things I should say totally is it normal for people to like like you said your client I've been able to get out of it before is it normal for people to like okay I had four months where I was like intuitively eating I was listening to my body and now I feel like I'm becoming restrictive again is that normal or like because I feel like sometimes it's like once you find your food freedom you're free forever but that's not always the reality no it's not and I always say that food freedom and intuitive eating is like an ongoing journey so I it's never ends I can say like I'm pretty much comfortable with intuitive eating I know the um, principles of intuitive eating which I mean if you want to go over some of them we can but a huge one is ditching the diet mentality, ditching any sort of diet mentality that you have. Of course, I fall back into restriction sometimes, but you just have to be aware of it. So it's like, all right, I see a therapist. Okay, everyone should see a therapist. It's great. It's like, <laughs> don't be ashamed if you see a therapist. It's fine. So I see a therapist. And when I feel like I'm restricting again, she asks, well, what's going on in your life right now that you feel like you can't control? I'm like, well... You got it. <laughs> Let me start. <laughs> something is, yeah, like something is going on in my life. And, and that's how I know why I'm restricting. And then I can like kind of snap myself out of it, right? Of course, it's, and sometimes I eat too much. Sometimes I, ha- I don't eat. Sometimes I have a really busy day and you forget to eat. That happens to everyone, right? They're like, yeah. holy shit, six hours and I haven't eaten anything. And then it's very easy to overeat after that because you're starving and you're like, get home and you rummage through your fridge and you're like, oh my God, I need to eat like whatever is here. So that happens by accident sometimes, right? But just being forgiving with yourself and knowing that that's why you did that. And next time you'll be more prepared with like a bar or like something with you. Um, I think that's a huge part of, you know, being on your intuitive eating journey is just to be forgiving with yourself. Be like, okay. What can I learn from, instead of being like, oh my God, that was so bad. Change it around to what can I do next time to like prevent this from happening? And it's okay, I'm going to move on. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's like the number one thing. Um, But yeah, it's completely normal to like fall back into that, especially because we're surrounded by diet culture. Yeah, and it's normal like for a weekend. It's like, all right, well, there was like a football game. So we all went to the bar and like had bar food and- drink and socialize and then yeah on this night we got like tacos and margaritas like there's always going to be like those life social events that is surrounded by food and like you said it's more of a mindset because if 
you're always just down on yourself, you're like never going to want to do that again. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I think that having those moments. So, I mean, when I was back in, I don't know, college, like when it was like, really like my head was like, just filled with like, how many calories am I eating a day? I would skip out on those things. You know, I would like miss social events with my friends. I would not go out to dinner with, you know, my family because I, I would rather stay home and like not eat the calories and not drink the calories. And I missed out on a lot of life experiences and memories. So you got to really think about like, what's more important to you? Is it like not eating that meal out or is it gaining that memory or experience with your friends and family? And to me, that weighs so much heavier. The I, I want the memories and the experiences. It's much more important than losing a pound or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's much more important than like missing out on that. When you're out at the bar and like for dinner or whatnot, if you're in tune with your body and you're not like overeating every single time or like listening to your hunger cues, it's going to be much easier because you're not going to leave. Like you're not going to feel like you have to like be rolled out of the restaurant (laughs) because you're like binging when you're out to dinner, it's okay to leave with leftovers. It's okay not to finish your drink. It's okay to like leave food on your plate. And those little things are like important to to know for like, you know, outings and, you know, when you're at the bar and like that stuff, you know? There are also mindsets that I feel like sometimes I'm always questioning, like, is that a healthy way to think? Um, Again, like finding the line between diet culture and just like doing what's good for your body. So like, if I have a big dinner at an Italian place later that night, it's like, okay, well, I know I'm going to be eating a lot of carbs and dairy tonight. So maybe for lunch today, I should have something that's like more green and whatever, like maybe I'll have like a green smoothie and like just something a little lighter. And I can see the danger in that where it could get dangerous. Like I'm going to fast before my Italian feast tonight, you know, verse, okay, maybe I'll just eat lighter. Like, where's the line? I think that the first thing that you just said about like, Hey, like, I know I'm going to have a lot of carbs and say, if you're like, totally want the ZD. Okay. So, I mean, just lasagna ZD, obviously that's heavy on, on pasta. It's a pasta dish. And then yeah, heavy on dairy. And I do that too sometimes. So I'm like, okay, like tonight I know what I want. I usually have like dishes that I know what I want, like at yeah. certain restaurants. So like, I'll know what I'm going to be eating. So if you're going to have like salmon or something, it's perfectly understandable that you don't want to have salmon for lunch. But I don't think that fasting is, or like eating nothing is the way to go. Even on like Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is a big example of this, right? Eat a normal breakfast, eat a normal lunch, but maybe eat something more green. Like you said, I think this is going to make me feel good. And I really want to enjoy my Thanksgiving dinner. And I know I'm going to have a lot of stuffing because it's my favorite. So maybe I won't have a sandwich for lunch. Maybe I'll just have something lighter with greens and like maybe a little bit of brown rice or something. But don't think that like you have to save up your carbs. You're right. It's a very fine line. And if you're going to have cheese at dinner, you can have cheese at lunch, right? Totally. Like you don't have to save up that. But at the same time, like if you're going to have lasagna or something for dinner, maybe you don't want to have fettuccine alfredo for lunch. <laughs> it's just a lot of heavy <laughs> you know things. I mean? yeah. Um, yeah, like a lot of heavy things. And that's not going to make your body feel great. That's a huge part of intuitive eating. And, you know, I think a green, a green protein shake, make sure that there's I always say, okay, I keep talking like I'm rambling, but love it. Every meal, every meal, regardless of what you're going to have for dinner, every meal should have a balance of protein, fat, and carbs. 
Which are what know, macros are for people who don't know. Which are what macros are, correct. So when people are counting their macros, they're counting protein, fats, and carbs. Regardless of what you're having for dinner, you shouldn't be like, oh, like saving those macros up for dinner, right? Because your body basically is like, how much gas does it take to fuel your car? Same thing, even like on Instagram, like what I eat in a day. I hate those videos. Okay, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I hate those videos. I'm going to say it. Um, I don't think that they're helpful because um, everybody's different. And I keep saying that everybody's different. So if you eat the same thing as somebody else, not going to give you the same result. Yeah, like, yeah, I think that, like you said, it's a fine line with like eating out and like saving something up. But I think just like really honing in on like making sure you have all those macros at every meal. Yeah, like my favorite hobby is just going to Olive Garden and like making it an event. Tonight will be the night I eat a ton of breadsticks. I eat the whole chicken Parmesan and I have a dessert. Like, and, but yeah, Yeah. like in college, it was like, all right, let's work out for two hours. And then like maybe a handful of cheeses for lunch because tonight is the night that we go hard at Olive Garden. Looking back, it would have been a lot better and make a lot more sense to eat light during the day, you know, like have like a smoothie or just like, but not going to dinner so hungry that then you overeat and you're like, again, you hit yourself after dinner and you have to be rolled inside. Like what I told you that like, I would like restrict and binge, like it was like a daily thing for me. It wasn't like a whole week and then like a binge on a Friday. It was like a daily, like restrict breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then go hard at night, like every single day. And I'm sure a lot of people struggle with that. Like just living in the diet culture now like it's like a daily thing but yeah I mean that's something that you shouldn't be doing you should really be like just nourishing your body and you're right you end up eating more at dinner because you're starving yeah just like what I said like the line like this or like a level line or up and down like extreme and like it's so much better at that level line you know we've talked about too how a lot of sorry if any of this feels repetitive um I mean, it all overlaps. Totally. Like it really does. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about like people who do the diets, the keto, the whole 30. I think this is, we find this a lot too in like January's, right? Like new year, let's start it off strong. Yeah. It's the thing where it's like, okay, you're totally playing into the diet culture. The keto community came after me one time in high school. I like, or college, I tweeted something about, I was like, how, like, I don't get people who do keto. Like, how could you literally never live your life not eating a bagel? Because, you know, again, I love bagels and they came after me. They're insane. But, and even though, you know, that put a bad taste in my mouth with the keto people, I do think that they're I don't necessarily think that those diets are sustainable to live the rest of your life. Like, again, how are you going to live your whole life again without ever eating an Olive Garden breadstick? But (laughs) like whole 30, it's like, and like things like that, it's like, okay, I get, I guess if you're doing it for the right reasons, cause too, it's like, again, how do you, where's the line of like not shaming them for doing the diet, but again, like having people go into it with the right mentality. Cause I think it is possible to do those diets if you're doing it for the right reasons. Right. Okay. So I'll give you a perfect example. One of my really close friends did Whole30 and this was, uh, I guess like three years ago now. And she lost 20 pounds. I'm talking like 20 pounds on 30 days. Wow. I was like, whoa. And that's a lot. Healthy weight loss is usually like maybe like a pound a week, maybe. So, and that's sustainable weight loss for sure. That just goes to show me, you know, everyone has their set level or uh, what is it? I forget what it's called, but the weight that they feel comfortable at, set point weight, that's what I'm saying. The weight that their body feels naturally comfortable at. And she was over that before the whole 30. 
And what really got me is that she had a lot of skin problems. She was going to go on like a medication for her skin because she like was breaking out like so bad, nothing was working. And as soon as she did Whole30, dairy, cut out dairy, her skin cleared up. And I was like, okay, for me, I'm like, okay, like now you know that you have a dairy intolerance. That is like worth you doing that. Like that's more of like her doing like an elimination diet to kind of find out that like that didn't work for her. But with that said, I don't think you got to do Whole30 again. Yeah, <laughs> we already know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now she's kind of been like at a weight where it's like in between the weight she began with and the weight she ended with. So she's at like a healthy, like she can eat what she wants. She can intuitively eat and stay at that like comfortable weight for her body. With that said, do I think you have to label it Whole30? No, you can just like give up dairy for a week and see how it is. So I always say food intolerances are different than giving something up because you think it's bad because you're not going to feel great if you eat dairy, if you have a food intolerance, right? Uh, if I have a gluten intolerance, for example, when I eat gluten, I'm, it's not going to make me feel great. So intuitively, and like knowing that's not going to make me feel great, I'm going to choose not to eat gluten. But that's part of intuitive eating. I think that there's like that fine line, like you said, there's always that fine line. I mean, our bodies are truly so amazing what they can do and what they can handle. And something that kind of like shook me also was back before I moved to Utah, I was living in Kansas City and I was like, I was really going through it. Like I was like over exercising, under eating and then yeah. binging. And I remember reading this thing that was like, you know, if you eat, if you go from eating 1500 calories a day to 500 calories a day, like, yeah, you might drop weight because you're not eating a lot, but your body's going to get used to eating 500 calories a day. And it's just going to start being like, all right, this is, I guess like, we're only going to get 500 calories. Let's find a way to like live off of that. And then obviously that's not sustainable. Yeah. So then you're going to go back to eating no. 1500 calories and you're going to gain weight and you're going to feel like you made no progress. And like you said, it's just like this cycle. And like, I think that's something too, where it's like, yeah, like that's not a diet. You're still eating whatever you want at 500 calories, but it's that same, like your body, no matter what you do, if it's whole 30, if it's eating not a lot of calories, your body's going to get used to it. And naturally when it's not sustainable, it can't handle the mm -hmm. fluctuation. It's not, it's not going to do anything good for you long-term. If you do, so we'll go back to like eating the 500 calories a day thing. In our minds, we're like, okay, well, I'm on a diet, right? We're like, okay, like I can only allow myself this many calories a day. I'm on a diet. But what your body thinks is, holy shit, we're in a famine right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> They're like, this is survivor. <laughs> we are trying to survive off of this little calories. Basically what your body does is that it holds on to everything that it has. It holds on to all of like what your body can function off of. Basically you're doing the opposite of what you think you're doing. So yeah, you're going to lose weight, but it, when you start eating again, it's all going to stay with you. Like yeah, your body's gonna, like going to be like, I don't know if I can trust you. You're kind of a wild card. <laughs> right. And like it, it's like your body doesn't know when it's going to get nourishment again, basically. So whenever you eat after that 500 calories, say you do it for like two weeks, which I don't know how can anyone could do that. When you do nourish yourself again with something sustained or something like, you know, substantial, your body's going to hold on to all of that. So you're going to do your body a disservice by trying to eat less. And then it's just going to be like, well, like I need all of this and like, I'm not going to burn it off. Totally. So yeah. that's like kind of the damage that you do 
when you do a low calorie diet like that. So we talked about a lot of really good little tangible tips of like, you know, if you want to wear the watch, like make sure you're doing it in moderation. I mean, everything's basically in moderation, but when it comes to body image, cause again, a lot of it sprouts from controlling what you look like. Um, and we've talked about the triggers and everything like that, but what are some things that you found helpful to help with body image when it comes to social media in comparison, even though there are like 500 apps that you can download and people edit their bodies all the time. Like what you're seeing yeah. is not the real picture. My tips on how to improve your body image. One, delete or unfollow any account that makes you feel like shit on social media, on any kind of TikTok, whatever you use. Follow more body positive app or people. Like I follow so many body positive accounts on Instagram. I have muted or unfollowed people who don't make me feel great about my body or that triggers me. If I see something and I'm like, well, should I be doing that? Or like, does my body look like this? Immediately I know like, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to have that on my feed. So your, who you follow and your account is like totally 100% in your control. Number two is feel good with about what's in your closet. So if you have clothes in your closet that don't fit you and you're like, I'm trying to fit back into these jeans, just get rid of them. Bless and release and find new jeans. Find clothes that fit your body, not the other way around. Third, don't compare yourself to other people. You are unique and you're your own person. Even comparing yourself to like how someone else works out, someone else does their care, like it's not going to help you in any way. Like you do you. And don't compare yourself to other people because I feel like, like, you know, jealousy is like the number one culprit of evil. Same thing. But like, don't compare your, oh, sounds cheesy. Don't compare your journey to anyone else's, but um, <laughs> like, so blah, true. blah, blah, blah. But yeah, no, it's so true. <laughs> and I, something that we're all guilty of, and I, I'm friends with really tall people. Again, I'm only five too. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's yeah. hard because sometimes, you know, my very tall friends are like, oh, I just like feel so big. And in my head, I'm just like, well, they have no right to feel that way because they're five, eight and they look great. But yeah, it's like a right. thing too, is just remembering that like people's feelings, like what they find to be their truth is true to them. And even if they look like a spaghetti noodle to you, they could truly not feel that way. And body yeah. dysmorphia is so real. Like what you see in the mirror is not always accurate to what people or how other people see you, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It just doesn't work like that. Like we all have different bone structures. Like we all have different bodies. That brings me to one last thing, not getting on the scale every day. If the scale gives you anxiety and ruins your day by seeing the number on it, just don't get on. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's wean yourself bad. off. Exactly. Like if you weigh yourself every day, maybe do it like three times a week and then once a week mm-hmm. and then once a month. I think the reason why we rely on diet culture and the scale so much is because we don't trust ourselves. You post a lot of really great things on your social media, on your Instagram about diet culture and having a good relationship with food and what that looks like. So if people want to find you, where can they find you? So I'm on Instagram as live, laugh, yum, Y-U-M. I don't know where I came up with that. It was like (laughs) over 10 years ago, but it's still sticking. Um, So it's live, laugh, yum. And then my blog is live, laugh, yum.com. Simple enough. Um, and my name is Gabby. Follow me on Instagram to see what programs I have coming up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. 
Um, I feel like we went through so many great things and I'm just hoping that people will listen and truly take like those tangible steps that we talked about and apply it to their life because you're just going to feel so much better if you do it. It's worth it. Even though it's an ongoing journey, it's so worth it to get there. So thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you. We'll see you guys next week.